You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. We're continuing on in our uh, series today, uh, 2020 Vision. This is 2020 Vision Part 6. And the subtitle of the, of the message this morning is Seeing One's Heart as Jesus Sees It. Seeing one's heart as Jesus sees it. First and foremost, our own hearts, and then seeing someone else's heart and perceiving someone else's heart as Jesus sees it. Uh, let's pray. Father, speak to us from your word today, through the scripture verses that we'll look at, and through the outline that you've given to me and the words that you've given to me to write down and to share with our church this morning. Lord, we ask ask that you would stir up our hearts in faith, that we would believe your word and that we would express your word, that we would practice your word, that we would be doers of your word, not just hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. God knows my heart. Have you ever heard that one? Have you ever heard someone say, well, God knows my heart. I mean, I, who's perfect? I mean, God knows my heart. And we, and we say that in a, in a kind of a casual way. As a matter of fact, maybe you've said it. I know I've said it. God knows my heart. But I hope that I'm not just saying it in a flippant manner that I'm going about living my life as I please and I I miss the mark. We all miss the mark. Amen. We all miss the mark. But that's not an occasion for us to just say, oh, well, God knows my heart. He knows my intention. That very statement is true. It's very, very true. God knows my heart. And this can be a very comforting thought. And a very comforting statement to a person who is in a right standing with God. God knows my heart. And God knows when I stumble. And God knows when I fumble. And God knows when I fall. And God knows when I fail. But God knows my heart. And he knows that I am in a right standing with him. And my heart's intention is to do his will. Amen. But that on the flip side of that coin, that can be a very terrifying thought as well to those whose hearts are not right with God. God knows my heart. Yeah, you better know that God knows your heart. As a matter of fact, uh, the prophet Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful. Think of that. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He asked the rhetorical question. And the answer is only God. Only God can know a person's heart. Amen. We can so easily be offended if someone judges us by our appearance. Amen. Somebody judges us because of our appearance. 
we get offended at that. Because God knows our heart. And they're judging us by the outward appearance. But what about when we judge another person by their appearance? God knows their heart as well. Amen? Come on, it works both ways. Works both ways. Let's look at a man whom God testified himself was a man after my own heart. God said he was a man after my own heart. David, Israel's greatest king. I just want to look at a couple of things about his life today. But our text is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. The Lord looketh on the heart. So let's just look at David's calling for a second. God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel after he had rejected uh, King Saul because of his unbelief and his rebellion against the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to raise up another man. I'm going to raise up a man who's going to be king and who's going to be a man after my own heart. And so he sent Samuel to a man named Jesse and to his household uh, to choose from one of his sons. And when he came to Jesse's house, he had him bring all of his sons to a particular sacrifice that he might choose which one of those would be the next king. Because God said, out of Jesse's household, I'm going to raise up the next king. I'm going to choose me a king from Jesse's household, uh, one of Jesse's sons. And so the eldest son, Eliab, stood before Samuel and he, he said, no, you know, no doubt this is the Lord's before me, the Lord's anointed one before me. He was no doubt a tall, strong, handsome uh, looking man in his outward appearance. And the prophet said his own words specifically, surely this is the Lord's anointed. That word came out of a prophet's mouth as he's looking at Eliab. Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me now. This is the one the Lord has told me to come and choose and to anoint. And that's when our text, and I'll reiterate it again, that's where we read from our text this morning. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. And I just wanted to say that twice today. So that we understand where God is coming from. Uh, when he makes a choice. And when he looks upon the heart of a person. And this is what we should be looking at. A person's heart. Not the outward appearance. Then Jesse had his next oldest son after the Lord rebuked uh, Samuel and said, nope, this, this is not the man. Don't look at the outward appearance. Jesse had his next oldest son pass before Samuel. Uh, by now, Samuel realized that he better be a little more discerning before he opens his mouth. Then Samuel said to the second son, no, it's not this one either. Then Jesse brought a third son to stand before Samuel. Once again, Samuel said, no, it is not the one. And Jesse did this four more times. He had seven of his eight sons. Jesse had eight sons, but he only invited seven of them to this feast and to this sacrifice. 
So he did it again with four more sons. Now, Samuel knew that he is capable of making a mistake. He just made one a little bit ago, right? By saying, surely this is the, the Lord's anointed standing before me. So Samuel knew that he was capable of making a mistake, but not God. And who was it that sent him to Jesse's house? God. And who was he supposed to find at Jesse's house? The next king for Israel. And he was supposed to anoint him. But he's now gone through all of Jesse's sons. Or at least what Jesse said was all of his household, right? So he asked Jesse if he had any other sons. He says, something's not right here, man. I'm supposed to anoint one of your sons. And the Lord has shown me right now that none of these are the anointed one. And then Jesse answered him and he says, oh yeah, there, there is the youngest one. Oh yeah, I got my young son. He's out in the field keeping the sheep. And scholars say that uh, David's age about this time was probably between 10 and 15 years old. It was before he slayed the giant later on when he was maybe 16 to 19 years old. But here he's just a young little boy. And Samuel says, you go send for that young boy. You go send for your youngest son and bring him here. And I think probably it's, it, it, to me, I don't know, I don't like to just read in a bunch of stuff that's not there. But, but to me, sometimes it, it just seems pretty natural. I think Samuel's a little bit ticked off right now. Jesse had him go through all of his sons and none of them were the right one. If Jesse would have brought all of his sons, maybe the Lord would have spared Samuel all of this stuff over and over and over. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. If we'd have brought all of his sons, maybe he would have said, oh, there he is right there. The Lord quickens my heart. The Lord quickens my spirit. That's the one. So he says to him, he says, you go and get that young man and you get him here right now. And we're not even going to sit down to eat until he gets here. That's putting a little bit of an urgency on get that young man here. I want him before me. Amen. So when David comes, he sees this young boy with rosy cheeks and, and uh, a pleasant countenance. And he's good looking. And he said, he is the one. He's the one. Not because of his looks, right? Not because of his countenance. Not because of his outward appearance. But God looked at David's heart. And he said, here's the one. It doesn't really matter what other people think of you. What matters is what God sees in you. And we got to remember that constantly. Not just for ourselves so that we can be comforted in the fact that God knows my heart. He knows where I stand. He knows what I mean. He knows what I, I attempt to do. He knows all of my uh, intentions in my heart. And if we know that, we need to take comfort in that when other people think something different of us based upon something that they see outwardly. Amen. What matters is what God sees in you. You may be the most unlikely candidate for a job, but that doesn't make any difference when God sees something in you that says you're the one qualified for the job. You're the one I choose. You may not be the one that others value, 
but it doesn't make any difference how much value or how little value somebody places upon you. God says you are valuable enough that I will send my son into the world to die on a cruel cross to take your sins upon himself that you might be saved and know eternal life. That's how valuable I say you are. And he looks at our hearts. He doesn't look at the outside of us. You may not be the one chosen by your peers to succeed. You know, those, uh, those uh, graduation books that everybody writes in. <laughs> they, I don't know. I'm not saying they wrote this down, but they could have said, Mike Pan, it's not that I graduated. Anyway, I had to come back and get my graduation after that. But uh, they could have wrote in, Mike Panich, the least likely guy to succeed in life, you know. As a matter of fact, I had a, a, a friend of mine who is a good friend of my fifth grade teacher. They were friends since they were in kindergarten and they grew up together. And she was my fifth grade teacher. And uh, 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 another friend of mine ended up in our church here, uh, older woman, and she was talking to her friend, my fifth grade teacher, and she had mentioned my name and where she was going to church. And she said, He's the pastor of a church? She said, yeah, he's my pastor. He's a good preacher. He's la, 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 la. And she just went on, you know. She said, Mike Panich? <laughs> so they have you packed even in fifth grade, church. I mentioned uh, Peter da- J. Daniels a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, dyslexic. Couldn't read. You know, the, the teachers didn't speak well of him that he would ever amount to anything. He's one of the wealthiest men in the world today through real estate business. Amen. So it doesn't matter what somebody says about you or how they measure you up and uh, look at you from the outside. You may not be favored even in your own family. You may not be the favored one. If you came from a family of nine people, everybody else... Seems they had favor, except for you. You were the quote-unquote black sheep of the family or whatever. Amen? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what they think of you. But if God has chosen you, it doesn't make any difference what somebody else thinks about you. Amen. Uh, Paul reminds us of calling in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. He wrote to the Corinthian church to encourage them. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now, if you get offended at that, that God would say of you or me that he has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound those who are wise. Well, then go ahead and be offended at God if you want. He's not saying that we're stupid. He's not saying that we're simpletons. He's just saying that, he's, that, that God chooses one who somebody else doesn't think should be cho- chosen or could be chosen or that they would choose. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen? Yes, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That, but that last little line there is why he does it this way. He does it this way so that no flesh has any room for glory. 
that nobody has any room to get puffed up about themselves. Amen? It's his calling. He chose us. He called us. And we're not people of royalty. We're not people with royal blood, suppose, you know, quote unquote, running through our veins. He calls the weakest one and he raises them up. Amen. David's own father didn't think enough of him to bring him to the sacrifice. Think about that. Hey, bring your family before me. I want to choose the next king. God sent me here to anoint the next king. And he only brings seven of his eight sons before Samuel. I didn't even think enough of his son David to bring him before the prophet. That he might be the one. His brothers didn't think a whole lot of him. Because we know that when he later on when he appears to Saul and, and the armies of God. When the Goliath is out there making fun and mocking God's holy name and his, and his armies. And David shows up. And, and he's ready to go to battle with Goliath. But his brothers were mocking him. Said, you, you little pipsqueak, you go back home with the sheep where you belong. We're out here in battle. We're warriors. We're soldiers. You little wimp, go back home. And once the prophet got his own heart right, he could plainly see that David had the proper heart that God was looking for in a king. First rattle right out of the box. He missed it. Prophets miss it. Prophets can miss it. Amen. Amen. But it wasn't long before he realized, you know what? I better think a little bit this next son before I open my mouth. Amen. So then that was David's calling. Let's look at just a couple of his actions. So we know that famous story of David killing Goliath, as I just alluded to just a moment ago. And uh, as I said, by then, he's probably about 17 years old, maybe. And uh, we know that his heart, and that's what God was looking at. And that's why God chose him, because of his heart, not his stature, not his countenance, but because of his heart. And so we know that his heart was a heart of love and honor towards God. He loved God. When he was out there watching those sheep, he, he was playing his harp and he was singing unto the Lord. He was a worshiper of God. He just worshiped the Lord. Wrote most of the psalms that we read and sing today. David was responsible for writing. Amen. So we know that he had a heart of love and honor for God. And we know that uh, his heart was a heart also of faith. God chose David because he had an honorable heart. God chose David because he had a heart of faith. He knew that it was God who delivered a bear and a lion into his hands when he was watching his daddy's sheep. He knew it wasn't his own strength. God, that's what he said to Saul. God! When he was trying to talk Saul into letting him at that, at that giant, Saul saying, no, you're too young, you're not tried, you, you know, you haven't been to battle, uh, you can't go out there and fight for us. He said, no, 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 King, you don't understand. A lion came to eat up our sheep and I took his head off. A bear came to take our, hold of our sheep and I, I killed that bear. And it was God who delivered the bear into my hands. And it was God who delivered the lion into my hands. And it'll be God who will deliver that Philistine into my hand. He was a man of faith and he honored God. He was offended. He was offended that that man was out there mocking God and mocking God's men and his army. He said, I'm going to take his head right off of him. 
He can't do that to my God. My God will deliver him into my hand. Amen. It's just one of the many things we, we, I don't have enough time today to just go through the whole life of David, but that's one of the things that little kids learn in Sunday school right away. David and Goliath, how he took down that giant. Another incident in his life is when David and his army went and recaptured and, and, and got the Ark of the Covenant to bring back into the city. Amen. And when they brought that Ark back into the city successfully, David danced before the Lord. David danced before the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. Everybody say shouting. shouting. Everybody shout, shouting. Shouting! They brought it in with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Think about this. They are shouting and they are rejoicing over this little box that they carried around that represented God's presence. I think sometimes we have become too familiar with the Holy Spirit of the living God. We've become too comfortable with the Spirit of God that we can't get excited about the fact that He is right here, right now among us. Come on, think about this. They're following around this little box. It comes into the city and they're rejoicing. They're blowing trumpets. They're getting so excited. Oh man, God is here. God is here. God is here. God is here. God is here in this little box. God is here, church. In this place right now. God is in that little box inside of you. God is in your heart. God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. God doesn't, you you don't have to go somewhere in the middle of the night if you got to get to him in a hurry. He's there. He's there. You can't get away from him. He's so there. And they're getting all excited about that little box. Church, I think we need to get more excited about the fact that God's presence is with us. Amen. Continuing on, and it says, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw. I want to stop right there for one minute. (laughs) She looked and saw. She looked and saw. We look and we see. We look and we see what we can see. We look and we see what we think we see. She looked and she saw. She looked and she saw. King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And you'd think that she'd be happy about it as well. And she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. 
in her heart. We would think, why in the world would she do that? All of Israel is rejoicing over this. She's the wife of the king. She ought to be saying, hey, if she didn't get excited about the fact that God in the little box is not with us again, if she couldn't get excited about that, she should have gotten excited over the fact that her husband was successful in his, in his victory of bringing the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant back. That would have been a good wife, don't you think? I know if I preach a good sermon today, my wife's going to say, that was a good job, honey. Because she'll always tell me if it's not. <laughs> That's kind of flat today. <laughs> Amen. But she won't despise me in her heart. Unless I preach a sermon that she has to, instead of saying a lot of amens to, she has to say a lot of old me's to. And then she might say, Lord, okay, get him off my case now. Well, that's enough. I get you. I get you. I, I understand. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But she looked and she saw. And what was it that she saw? She saw something that she despised in her heart. He's rejoicing out there, dancing before all of the people. And then if we drop down to uh, verse 20, it says, Then David returned to bless his household. He blessed all the other people and sent them away with blessings. And now he comes home to his own house to bless his own household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. Now, if she would have said it in this tone of voice, Oh, how glorious the king was when he was dancing before the people out there. But that's not the way she said this. Oh, how glorious was the king dancing out there in front of all of Israel. Oh, who do you think you are? That's the, that's the attitude because it says she despised him in her heart. And so this is what she was saying. How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself dancing, dancing before the, the Lord. And, and he took his outer robe off. They called that naked back then. It would be like uh, dancing in his undergarments. She criticized him, despised him in her heart. Shame, shame, shame. We got a problem. If, if we're like that, we got a problem. Amen. We got to fix that problem. Amen. Who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of God, of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than this. And will be base in my own sight. And of the maiden servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be in honor. If you won't honor me, the other people of Israel will honor me. But I'm not even doing it for that cause. I'm not doing them at all. I'm doing this before the Lord. I have set myself before the Lord uh, to dance before him. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Amen. God shut up her womb so that she would not be able to have children. Because she despised David in her heart made fun of him, mocked him. For what? For doing from his heart what his heart was saying to do. Dance before the Lord. Shout before the Lord. Rejoice before the Lord. The ark is back in our presence. 
Amen. Here is a man whose heart was right with God, but was wrongly judged even by his own wife. He had to be careful not to be, we have to be careful not to be critical. We have to be careful not to be critical and judgmental of others. God may see something altogether different than what we see. Come on, church. I said, God may see something different in someone than what you see. And so when we look and we see something about somebody and we, we kind of curl up our face like she did and we go, eh, we got to be careful because we might be doing the same thing that she's doing. I've done this. I've done this. We, we do this as Christians and, and brothers and sisters, we got to check that. We got to, we, it's up to us to restrain that kind of thinking coming out of us. When it raises up within us, it's up to us to say, you know what? That's not right. My attitude's not right. God changed my attitude about this. That's probably not what you think about that person at all. That's just the way that I'm seeing the situation. That's the way that I see it. God, I'm not seeing it the way that you see it. And so we need to be careful that we don't do the same thing that she did there. Amen. So I bring us back to my opening statement in this next thought that I want to drive home to all of us. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. God knows all of our hearts. Everyone sitting here right now. May God help us to see our own heart as he sees it. First one. The first heart is our own heart. God help us to see our own heart the way that you see it. Because we can justify our own actions. We can justify ourselves in what we're doing. And we need God to search our hearts. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because we know that he he was the one who cried out in one of the Psalms. God search me. Search my heart. And see if there's any wicked way inside of me so that I can remove it and get it out of me. See if there's anything wrong in the way that I'm thinking. See if there's anything wrong in my judgmental attitude. Lord, help me to not do that. David searched his own heart. And we need to pray and ask God to help us to see our own heart first. May he help us to be more uh, critical, more critical of our own heart. And of our own actions rather than those of others. Amen. It's easy to judge somebody else. It's easy to be critical of somebody else. But we need to turn that criticism inward and say, hey, how am I doing? How's my heart before God? Amen. That we would cast out the beam that is in our own eye, Jesus said, or in our own heart. Before we try to cast out a speck of dust out of somebody else's eye. Because what we see in someone else is just like a speck in comparison to what God might see inside of us. So he said, get rid of that. Remove that out of you first. We know the incident of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he asked him, Master, what what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, the commandments. (laughs) He said, just like, just like there's nothing to it, just. Do the commandments and you'll have eternal life. 
He says, oh, I, well, I've done that since, since I was a child. I was in Sunday school. I, I, was, in the, I was on the uh, verse memory team. Yeah, I, I memorized scripture verses. I, I know the Bible inside and out. I know all of the commandments, and I keep all of the commandments, Lord. So I've already done that. I've done that since I was a kid. What else? Is that all you want me to do to have eternal life? And then Jesus, knowing his heart, God sees our hearts. And he wanted to expose to that young man so that he could see his own heart. He said, okay, young man, he says, just uh, go and sell everything that you have. Give that money to the poor and then come and follow me and you shall have eternal life. The Bible says that that young man went away sorrowful because he had much riches. Now, there's a point to be made right here. Having much riches does not mean that you're an evil person or that you're not right with God. Having an abundance. But what, what messed it up for him was what Jesus told him to do so that he could have eternal life. And now he's got a choice between the things of this world and eternal life. And Jesus put that all before him so that he could show him you're not really keeping the commandments. See, in his own sight, and in his own mind, he says, I'm keeping the commandments. And Jesus said, well, okay. Without so many words, he says, let's start at the very first one. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, body, strength, and mind. Right? Commandment number one. And he says, young man, you blew it right here. We don't need to go through any more commandments, do we? Do you see the fact that you do not love me with all of your heart? That you love your stuff? That you are attached to your stuff? That you uh, treasure your, your material things so much that you can't let them go? Even when I said, if you'll do that, you can have eternal life. You know, if, if God would say that to a very rich person today, give, a, give away everything that you have and... Uh, you can have this real nice shiny truck that you so much like. And the person says, no, I think I'll pass. Good move. Give away everything that you have and you can have this really nice house here in a great neighborhood, double gated community, swimming pool, tennis court. Just give me all your stuff for that. And he, you know, he says... You know what? I, I think not. I think not. Good choice. Amen? Good choice. Because he's just value, evaluating his money in relationship to that. So he says, man, I'm smarter than that. No, I'll keep my money. I'll build me two of those things. Right? But if God asked a very wealthy person today, give what you have so that you can have eternal life. And that person says, no, I got too much stuff to let go of. Bad choice. It's a bad choice for this young man. It's a bad choice for us always. When we can't give up what we want to hold on to so bad, so bad that we are unwilling to let go of it so that God can have first place and priority in our lives. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then there was another incident where Jesus was sitting at the temple place where the people came and put their offerings in. A box where they came and they put their 
offerings into the box. And the Bible very specifically says Jesus was sitting there watching them do that. And if we say that God is here among us, we got to know and understand God's here watching us do what we do as well. Amen? Come on! Boy, that's a weak amen. You can relax. I'm not asking you to get your wallets out today. So just relax. Just stick with the message today. Just listen to the message today. Okay? Sometimes people pucker up a little bit and go, mm, I don't know, he's getting ready to ask for money. But it says that he sat there watching people come one after another, putting into that box. And then here comes this little widow. And she puts into the box... Two mites. We might say a couple of pennies or maybe two little nickels or something. That's all she had in the world. All she had in the world. And so she put that in. And uh, this is what it says in Luke chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a poor, poor widow casting in their two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast in more than they all. More than all of them combined. She's put in more. For all these have of their abundance or from their abundance, from an abundance of what they have, they have cast into the offering of God. But she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. Wow. Church, what Jesus was teaching his disciples and his followers and those who were in the sound of his voice, it wasn't about the quantity of the gift. It was about the quality of the worship. The quality of the worship that she was willing to worship God with her whole life, all of her livelihood. It wasn't about the quantity of the gift, but the people that were coming in with such an abundance, probably what they were putting in was like tipping a, a wait staff at a restaurant in our day and age. Just pitching a little bit of something in there, maybe to be seen by other people or to keep up a good name or, or whatever reason or motive they had of giving. They just flipped in a, a little bit in there. But in comparison to her giving, it wasn't anything in the eyes of God in comparison to hers. Hers came from a heart of worship. And that's what God is looking for, church. He's not just after our money. He's, asked, he's after hearts of worship. And a heart of worship will do what Jesus says to do. Amen. And a heart of worship will have a longing. And I hope that that's us this year as we're going through this series of 2020 vision. Uh, a, a true worshiper is going to have a heart that says, Lord, I want to see the way you see. I want to look at things the way you look at them. I want to see my own heart in the way that you see my heart. Other people might judge me and say, hey, he's not a very good Christian. But Lord, you know my heart and you know that I am doing the very best that I know to do with the power within me.
to be pleasing unto you. Not, a, not to gain a place in heaven, because that's sealed deal if you're born again. But we want to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen? Just because you're born again now shouldn't, shouldn't mean that ah, I don't want to please God anymore because I'm born again. I got a place in heaven. I'm going to go there when I die. Blah, 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 blah. No. Because of that, we show appreciation to him for what he's done for us. And we just find a way in ourselves to just out, out worship the last time we did. Amen. Worship better today than we did yesterday. So God is seeking for those kind of worshipers. And he dealt with that with the woman at the well when he was, when he was uh, speaking to her. And this is what he said in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. He said, but the hour is coming and even now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a matter of our heart. That's what God is after. He's after your heart. He's after my heart so that he can have the fullness of our heart, the totality of our heart, everything that is within us. He wants us to worship him with, a, with that. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, body, strength, and mind. Everything about you love God. That's the sign of a true worshiper. When we come through the doors of this church, we want to worship. We want to enter into worship. And hopefully, if we're true worshipers, we've done that even before we hit the door. We worshiped the Lord when we got up this morning. We gave thanks to the Lord for the breath that we were breathing. For the food on our table, for the clothes that we wear. For his good care for us. Thank you, Lord, for what we have. And we come into this house showing, showing him by our hearts of worship that we appreciate Calvary's cross. We appreciate the blood that was spilt. We appreciate the forgiveness we've received. We appreciate the mercy he has shown to us. And so why would we not want to pray unto him and say, Lord, search my heart. Don't allow anything to be inside of me that would be a hindrance in your kingdom, that would be a hindrance to other people's lives, that would be a hindrance even to my own relationship with you. Look inside of me, 